welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We're broadcasting from Coralville, Iowa. For more information about Life Church, to watch a live stream, or to find a campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. All right. Well, I, you know what? I'm, I'm excited about this series we're kicking off today. It's called Greater. And uh, the idea comes from, this, uh, from John 14, where Jesus says, greater things shall you do. And he's talking to his disciples about the, the, the reality that he has done all these miracles, these amazing miracles and sign, signs and wonders, but that we as followers of Jesus Christ, walking in faith, believing in God and trusting God, that we actually can do greater things than what he did. Now that seems... That seems extraordinary, and that's what we're going to be talking about over the next four years. Um, one of the ways that we're doing this, so we're doing this, this uh, series that we're kicking off called Greater, and we're also coupling it with 21 days of prayer and fasting. And so I really want to encourage you to jump on board with the 21 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, in fact, I've got a link here for where you can download. I know Chris mentioned it several times, but I'm just, we're just re-emphasizing it because we believe that it's very, very important for us as a community not just simply asking you to do it for your own personal benefit, although you will get enormous amount of personal benefit out of this. Your future self will thank you for joining in in these 21 days of prayer and fasting. But we're also, there's something, there's a power in numbers. When we couple these, when a congregation says, yeah, we are doing this. We are doing this. We position ourselves as a church to make an impact in our community. When the church says, we are doing this. So when we decide we're going to pray and fast for the next 21 days, what we have done is basically put ourselves in a position for us to be used by God to make an impact in this community and change the world around us. And I don't know about you, but I want to do that. I, 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 I live in this city. I walk through the shopping centers in this city I see the faces of people, and I know there's a lot of pain, hurt, suffering, brokenness in this city, and in our community, and in our state, and God has placed the church in this world to make an impact in the lives of those very people. That's why we exist. In fact, if we were not living for, the, for, the, for those outside of these four walls, we as a church should just close our doors and just never operate anymore. The reason why you have gathered here today the reason why this church is even on this piece of real estate is because we exist for the benefit of those outside of these four walls, those who have never met Jesus Christ before, those who are broken and hurting, those who are drug addicted, those who are lost, those who have gone recently through divorce and their life has just turned upside down, children who have been abused. That's who we exist for as a church. That's why we are here. That's why we're taking up real estate. And that's why we're fasting and praying, because we want God to use us as a church to make an impact in this world. Amen? Are you, you want to be a part of that? So just go to lifechurchnow.org forward slash fast. You can download the guide there. There's a lot of important information about types of fast you can engage in. I want you to encourage you to read it tonight. And then tomorrow, we're kicking off this, this, this season of prayer and fasting. And again, your future self will thank you for, for doing it. Amen? Amen. You know, um, you know how medications have these uh, disclaimers. Like, you ever, you ever like uh, watch it on TV? They'll they'll talk about a, a medication, and then they'll tell you. It's like they tell you all the benefits and all the you know all the amazing stuff the med, the medicine does, and then at the very end they have this really long list of things that. It's like a disclaimer, you know. It's like a, a warning label, you know. And it's a long list, and they read it really fast, you know. And 
and then it kind of tells you what this medicine, the side effects of this medicine, you know, and there's one called Chantix. You might have heard of Chantix. <laughs> in fact, somebody came up to me after first service. I talked about this. Somebody came up to me after first service and says, hey, Chantix really works, but man, it is really weird, you know, <laughs> but it's a medication that helps people uh, quit smoking, you know, and so a, a Supposedly, it really works. I, I never have had to use it because I've never really been a smoker. But um, here's a disclaimer, and I wish I could read it the way they read it on TV. But it's just I don't my I, my mouth just doesn't move that fast. But anyways, here's the words. It says uh, taking Chantix, you know, help you quit smoking. But here are the side effects: agitation, hostility, depression, changes in behavior, thinking, or moods that are not typical to you for you, or you develop suicidal thoughts or actions. Anxiety, panic, aggression, anger, mania, abnormal sensations, hallucinations, paranoia, or confusion. If any of these things happen, stop taking Chantix and call your doctor right away. I think I would take my chances with smoking. I, I don't know. This, there's a lot of stuff there I do not want to happen to me, right? And so, and so <laughs> this, is a, this is a warning label, basically, for Chantix, right? Well, I want to give you a warning label for the series that we're about to enter into. We're about to enter into a series where we're going to talk about faith. And in full disclosure, I'm going to say things from here that it's going to stretch your faith. I'm going to prod. I'm going to poke at your faith. In fact, sometimes it's going to become a little bit uncomfortable. But we need that. We are all familiar with the no pain, no gain mantra, you know, and working out. And faith... Faith is a muscle that needs to be stretched and worked out. Faith is a muscle that needs to be prodded and poked so that it grows and it becomes really what God really wants us to, to how God wants us to live. In fact, the Bible tells us that without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's pretty absolute language there. That if you don't have faith, you cannot ever please God. So that should be reason alone that we'll spend the next four weeks talking about faith, right? Now, what I've discovered is that faith is really a way of seeing. It's like vision. That's what faith is, really. Because people wonder what faith is. In fact, the Hebrew writer tries to define faith, and this is what he says in Hebrews chapter 11, um, verse 1. He says, what is faith? He's asking a question. What is faith? So we're about to go into a series for the next four weeks, and we're going to talk about faith, right? And evidently, that's a question that many people have asked, because it's even in the Bible. People have asked the question, what is faith? You might be sitting where you're at right now saying, what is faith, Rich? Okay, you want us to have faith, but what is faith? And he goes on to define it. He says, it is the confident assurance that what, it is the confident assurance that what we hope for, the stuff that we're dreaming about, the things that we're hoping for, is, all right? present tense, is going to happen, and to be certain of things we do not yet see. The Hebrew writer here, as he's talking about faith, he's talking about vision. He's talking about sight. He's talking about seeing something different. See, our problem, though, with vision is that what we see, um, we all have a different perspective, right? Like, Chris's shoes are, are, you know, hip in some people's eyes. <laughs> I'm messing with Chris. But mine are hipper, evidently. 
What's funny is I wore these when I was like 10 as well. So it's like, it just comes around. Don't worry about it. So anyways, but we see things from different person. Let me, let me illustrate. I'm going to show you a picture here. This is a, 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 a custom Harley. It's a bobber, what they call a bobber. Bobber means it's, they've changed out the suspension in the back and they put a, a seat there. When I look at something like this, a picture like this, and I'm thinking, that, that turns my head. I see that and I'm like, woo, I like that, you know? I want something. I don't really want this one because I actually have a nicer one than this one. But I like this. I like this, right? This is something that attracts me, gets my attention. My wife, on the other hand, Christy, she sees this and she says, that's ugly. The same thing. That's ugly. It's all black and the paint is weird. And what, what's wrong with a seat? It's a tiny little seat. And then when you start it up, it's so loud. It's like it's loud. See, we all see the world from a different perspective. All of us do. That's how, we, that's how we are identified as unique and individual in many ways. Now, but as followers of Jesus Christ, one of the challenges that we have for us is to begin to see the way God sees. Is begin to see how God sees the world. That's the challenge for you and I. And so through this series, what we're going to challenge you is to see yourself the way God sees you. To see your family, see your kids and your wife and your husband, your parents, to see them the way God sees them. See, we see them, and when we see them, we say, man, they're just annoying or they're frustrating or whatever, but how does God see them? To see your career and your work the way God sees it. To even see your future the way God sees it. You see, faith is seeing the way God sees, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Today I want to look at, at, um, at a passage in Numbers 13 and 14. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask, I'm going to kind of present this idea of seeing from two different lens. Imagine like wearing glasses. Like I have a pair of glasses on, I put my glasses on, and now I'm seeing a certain way. And then I have another pair of glasses and I put those on, and now I'm seeing another way. Okay? And so we're going to look at them through two different lens. One is the lens of fear. And then the other is the lens of faith, right? Lens of fear, lens of faith. We're going to look at this story, Numbers 13 and 14, that's going to illustrate this. Um, the stories of the, the Israelites. The Israelites are in Egypt. They've been set free from slavery in Egypt. You know the story. Moses, you know, let my people go. You know that story. So the people get set free, and, uh, and then they are on their way to the promised land. They have, God has promised that they're, going to be, that they're going to inherit the promised land. It takes them a couple years to get to the promised land. When they finally arrive there, um, they come to this town called Kadesh Barnea, this area called Kadesh Barnea. Moses sets up a scouting team of about 12 spies and sends them out on this trip to, to spy out the land. It's a vision trip. It's to see what God has promised them. Okay, that's what these 12 are tasked with. They're tasked with going into the promised land and seeing what God has promised the children of Israel. So they go, they spy out the land, come back after 40 days. When they come back after 40 days, there's this mixed report. Ten of the spies have a negative report of what they saw in the promised land. Two of the spies have a positive report. The two spies that have a positive report are like, we could do this. Let's take the land. Let me ask you a question. I'm going I'm to rattle off a list of names. I'm just going to, I want to ask the question. If anybody here has a child named like this, just raise your hand when I say the name, Okay. 
If you have a child or you know somebody that's named this, just raise your hand. Okay, here's, here's the names. Shamua. Wow, okay. Uh, how about Shaphat? No. How about Igal? Okay, no. Palti? Gadiel? Oh, yeah, Gadiel. There's a Gadiel somewhere. Oh, yeah, you know Gadiel. Great. Gadai? Amiel? Sether, Nabi, <laughs> Nabi, Gul. See, these are biblical names, but we don't remember them. They were the 10 spies who had the negative report. And here's the reality. Nobody remembers people who say it cannot be done. Nobody remembers that. On the other hand, Joshua and Caleb, we remember them, don't we? How many here have a son named Joshua? One, two, three. Three, four, well, you're married, so, yeah, right? How many have a son named Caleb? There's Caleb. See, we don't name them after the ones who say, no, it can't be done. We name them after the ones who say it can be done. And this is really what we're going to talk about. You see, nobody really remembers the critics who say it can't be done. But the problem is that fear... Fear is a powerful force because it has the ability of influencing people. So in this particular case, the story of the Israelites, when the ten come back with a negative report and they're afraid to go into the promised land, what happens is the whole community listens to them and decides to go with them. And so what happens for the Israelites is that they spend the next 38 years wandering in the desert, never really finding the promised land. 38 years! The entire generation had to die off before they can actually enter into the promise. They miss this opportunity to possess the land. So what happens when we see with eyes of fear? What happens when we put on the lens of fear? Well, first of all, fear makes us exaggerate our difficulties. What's crazy is that God had just set them free from the most powerful nation on the face of the earth at that time, Egypt. They had this huge army, and God had done miracles for them, plagues. You know the whole story of, of the liberation of the people of God out of Egypt. You know that story. God had just set them free, and now they are terrified over these tiny little tribes in Palestine. Look what it says in Numbers, Numbers 13. See, fear has this ability of making your problem bigger than what it really is. This is what it says. We went this is the 10 spies who gave the negative report. We went to the land to which you sent us, and oh, like, dude, this is amazing. They must have had samples in their hands. It says, it does flow with milk and honey. Just look at this fruit. And they must have had these, like, ginormous mangoes, because <laughs> I like mangoes, or pineapples. You know, they must have had these huge, and like, look at this fruit. It's amazing. But then look what it says. The only thing is, that the people who live there are fierce. So they, ex they assent to the fact that, that the land is amazing. The promised land is amazing. But here's the problem. There are people that are in the land that are fierce. Their cities are huge and well fortified. Worse yet, we saw descendants from the giant Anak, the Anakites. All they could see was the problem. That's all they could see. You see, a negative attitude can be very contagious, and this is exactly what happened. 
They came back. They talked, they talked about how terrible it was. And the whole people fell into it. Now, the irony of this whole story is that 38 years later, when the people of God actually took possession of the land, took possession of the promised land, the tribes that were there confessed that they were terrified of the Israelites. They had heard about the plagues in, in Egypt. They had heard how God had worked on the behalf. They were terrified. In fact, it says that they were ready and willing to surrender. And yet, this negative report influence them all. See, fear paralyzes you. You will see your problems as bigger than what they really are. The second thing that fear does is it makes us underestimate our abilities. In verse 33 of Numbers 13, it says, we, saw, we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like, grass, we, we, we felt like grasshoppers. And, thought, and that's, <laughs> I like this, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. <laughs> like, we didn't really have a conversation with them, but we felt like we were grasshoppers, and if we felt like we were grasshoppers, then they certainly felt like we were grasshoppers. How did they get into the mind of these people to think that that's how they thought about them, when in fact, they didn't think that way at all about them? And this is what happens with fear, right? It, it, it lowers our self-esteem. We, we feel like we're insects. We feel like we're nothing. We feel like we could be like a bug that gets just, just gets squashed. You see, the problem is that even though they had been set free from Egypt... They were no longer slaves. They were still enslaved in their mind. They were still thinking like slaves back in Egypt. And I think for many of us right now, you might say, yeah, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I'm born again. Uh, you know, I remember that day when I went up to an altar and I confessed my sins before God and he set me free. But you're still plagued by the voices of your past. You're ugly, you're stupid, you're a failure, you'll never accomplish anything, you're fat. And even though the people who said those things to you are long gone, that's still, that's still there, it's still plaguing you, it's still, it's still causing you to live out of those voices. Jesus came not only just to set us free from physical pain and addiction and bondage, but he came also to give us a new identity. An identity that's not rooted in what your dad said to you or what your mom said to you. It's not rooted in, in what that bully at school said about you. It's not even rooted in what you convinced yourself about yourself when you were a young person. It's rooted in what Christ did for you on the cross. You have a new identity in Jesus Christ. And you know what he says about you? I don't care what all those other people say. You know what he says about you? He says, you're my masterpiece. I have created you with purpose, with design. You have something, there's something about you that's gonna change your world if you will just embrace the identity that I have given you. You see, fear causes us to underestimate our abilities. Fear also engenders discouragement. Verse, verse 1 of chapter 14 says, Then all the people began weeping aloud, and they carried on all night. They had this giant pity party. They're like, oh, poor us, poor us. I mean, they haven't even gone into the promised land yet, and they're already discouraged. They're just out. They're like, you know, God, God has done so, so many amazing things for them, and they meet these, these supposed obstacles in the promised land, and they're already discouraged. My prayer for you is, I, I mean, it's paralyzing. And so if you're paralyzed by discouragement and fear, 
My prayer is that God would just set you free from that. Fear also ends up with giving up, with giving up and blaming God. What it says in verse 3, it says, why is the Lord, notice that they bring the Lord into it, so they're discouraged, having this big pity party, and then they say, this is how they, how they process this information of how bad things are, okay? This is how they process it. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to be killed with swords? I mean, God, why are you doing this to us? You see, anytime you get in this place of being afraid, you have to find blame. It's got to be somebody's fault. And so in this particular case, they point their finger at God and say, God, you're the one that's making this happen. And then they say, we'd be better off going back to Egypt. Really? Like where you were slaves? Where they didn't feed you enough food? Where they made you work really, really long hours for no pay? Where, they got, where the Pharaoh got threatened by, by, by the fact that you were growing to such a big you know, group of people that he started killing off your, 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 first, your, your, your male babies? Is that really better? Now see, that's what happens with fear. Fear causes us to distort our past. We make it look better than what it really is. Make it sound better than what it really was. And I think one of the reasons for that is because it's predictable for us, right? Like we can look behind. It's hard to look ahead, isn't it? It's hard to look ahead and say, well, I see amazing things ahead. Sometimes you need a little bit of signs to help you do that, but sometimes it's difficult to do that. It's easy, though, to look back. We, we can always look back and see all kinds of stuff. And there's things that we look in our past and we're like, I hate that. But here's the problem is that sometimes the things that we hated, they're predictable. They're familiar. And so sometimes that is better than the uncertainty of the future. And so that's what these children of Israel are doing. They're looking back and they say, well, slavery, yeah, it was, it was kind of bad, yeah. But I think it would be better compared to what's ahead. That's what's happening here. Often it's the case that we choose slavery over faith because it's predictable. But understand this, there is no, there is no real freedom without faith. There is no real freedom without risk. So what happens when we put on the lens of faith? Well, first of all, what happens <clears throat> is faith shrinks my problems. Whereas fear enlarged my problems, faith shrinks it, right? I, I used to say something when I was younger as a young pastor. I, I would I'd say, it's, I stopped saying because it, it was kind of a cheesy statement. And you might think it's cheesy. And if it's cheesy, don't laugh at me, please. Um, but I used to say, me plus God equal a majority, and so when people talk to me like, oh, wow, your fam you and your family are going to Bangladesh, that's really hard. I can't believe it. I'd be like, yeah, but me plus God, we're a majority. You know, I would say that as a, as a kind of a statement of faith, right? And then I said it enough that I thought, even my wife said, yeah, don't say that anymore. You know, that sounds kind of cheesy. But that's what it is. Really, the truth is, is that when you have faith, you see from a new perspective, you see the way God sees. I have firsthand experience with this. I remember when we first started Life Church 15 years ago. I would go into my basement. We started meeting at the Corville Rec Center. I'd go into my basement and I'd spend time in prayer and even a season of fasting. And this is what I was asking God for. God, you've got you've to provide the rent for the rec center. It's $500 a month. God, you need to provide. You need to provide. I was so overwhelmed. The mountain was so huge. I needed $500 a month in rent for the rec center. 
and God would provide and that mountain would be overcome and I began to recognize that my problems really aren't that big, right? And this is really the cycle that, we're, that we live in that's a cycle of faith, right? We trust him along the way. We trust him along the way. We trust him along the way. In 2014, we made a huge decision. We made a decision to buy some land up in North Liberty and then to occupy this building that we're in right now. And again, I go back into my basement and pray. And God, we need, this time it wasn't $500 a month. It was like 500 plus a few extra zeros, you know. We needed a whole lot more money for this. But again, it's the same cycle of faith where you just trust God. It seems like it's overwhelming. It seems like it's so big. But then as you start going to God and you start trusting him and you say, God, I'm going to believe in you that problem becomes smaller and smaller and smaller, seen through the eyes of faith. What I love about faith is that when you begin to see as God sees, it takes care of worry in our life. Amen? You don't have to raise your hand, but any of you right now worried about some circumstance in your life? You're just distressed by it? It's affecting your health? It's affecting your relationships. It's affecting so many areas of your life. See, worry, as we see, as God sees, worry goes away. And the reason why is because we recognize that when you've given it over to God, it's in his hands. It's, his, it's in his hands. It's now his problem. It's now God's the one who has to take care of it. So I want to encourage you, if you're struggling with worry right now, just open your eyes to see how God sees your problems. I'm reminded of the story in, in 1 Samuel chapter 14 of Jonathan and his young armor bearer. You know the story, I've talked about it before, where the Philistines and the Israelites are you know, they're positioned against each other. The problem is the Philistines way outnumbered the Israelites. The Israelites are actually running for their lives or hiding out. And Jonathan, the king's son, decides, you know what, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to do something about this. My faith says that God can take care of my problems. He shrinks my problems. I'm going to do something about this. So he takes his young armor bearer, and he goes to the front line where the Philistines are. They have this fortified you know, front, and he goes to the front lines, and he basically is going to put himself in a position to where God could use him. And that oftentimes is what faith is. It's about putting ourselves in a position for God to, to, to do the miracle, for God to provide, for God to... to to, to change our circumstances. And so he brings this young armor bearer with him, and he says, hey, uh, I got something to say to you, to this young armor bearer. And so he looks at this young armor bearer and says, the force is with you. No, that's not what he said. I, see, I knew half of you were asleep. I knew it. I just knew it. You just, no, he didn't say that. He says to this young armor bearer, in 1 Samuel chapter 14, goes, nothing. How much is nothing? Zero. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. I mean, there's nothing. Do you understand that? There is nothing, nothing, nothing in this world that can stop God from working on your behalf. Nothing at all. There's not one problem in your life right now that is too big for God. Amen? Yeah. It's true. It's true. I know it's hard to embrace that truth sometimes because we look at the problem, we put on the glasses of fear, and we look at the problem, we say, whoa, 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 there's no way that's going to, you know, but God wants us to put on the lens of faith and to trust him. Another thing that faith is, does is faith is a fertile soil for a miracle. 
I don't know about you, but I, I, I want a miracle in my life in 2021. I know that many of you do as well. For some of you, it might be that you want your son to turn back to Jesus Christ and give his life over to, to, to his Savior. For others of you, it might be a cancer that you're dealing with and you want God to take care of that cancer once and for all. For some of you, it just might be you need a financial miracle. You need God to provide in 2021. Listen, God still performs miracles. And those miracles most often happen in the fertile soil of faith. That's when they happen. When you and I say, God, I can't do this on my own. I need you. Look what it says in Mark chapter 11. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He said, then Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, he's about to say something incredibly ridiculous here. Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up, the mountain, and thrown into the sea. Okay, Jesus, that's kind of weird, but that's what he said. And it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything. There's Jesus again using some absolutes. Anything. Nothing's off limits. You can pray for anything. And if you believe that, you received it, it will be yours. I mean, these words seem kind of crazy, right? Really pray and say mountain be lifted up and thrown into the sea. It seems kind of ridiculous to say that. And see, what Jesus is pointing out here is he's pointing out two laws. There's a law of nature, and then there's a law of faith. And maybe we don't always often think of it that way, but the law of nature, we are very accustomed to the law of nature, right? Like when I get in my car this morning, and it was, I don't know, 10 degrees or however cold it was, and uh, I was really hoping that my engine would start. I know I have a brand new battery in there, so I know that the engine's going to start. And that's trusting in the law of nature. We understand the law of nature. We put a lot of faith in the law of nature. But what we find in the Bible, there's story after story where the law of faith basically overrides the law of nature. Lazarus, he's dead. Four days in a tomb. Dead. The law of nature says, you're dead. You stink. Stay there. Yeah. Law of faith says, Lazarus, come up. He comes back to life again. A little boy has a sack lunch, five loaves and two little fish. That's all it is, a sack lunch. There's nothing more. And he comes to Jesus, and Jesus takes his little sack lunch. There's 5,000 plus people standing around. It says 5,000 men, so there might have been 10,000 people there. 10,000 people there. And Jesus takes that little sack lunch of five loaves and two fish. And he multiplies it. And he begins to distribute. And it says all of them ate and were satisfied and there was even left over. That's a defiance of the law of nature. The law of faith. Blind people are healed. And they get their sight back. I mean there's this interesting passage in Matthew that just kind of blows me away. Jesus goes to his hometown, and it says in Matthew 13, 58, it says, Jesus did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Not because he didn't want to. Doesn't say that. Doesn't say that Jesus didn't do miracles because, ah, it's my hometown. I don't want to do anything here. It's not what it is. It says he did not do any mir many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Now, we're, not, we're talking about Jesus here, right? 
one who raised Lazarus from the dead, the one who did all these amazing miracles, he could not perform miracles because of people's lack of faith. Scriptures talk about this powerful force that has this ability to defy nature and its faith. There's another verse that's very revealing about faith. Matthew 9, 29 says, Jesus said, according to your faith, it will be done to you. According to your faith, it will be done to you. That you get to choose, okay? You as an individual, you get to choose how God is going to work in your life. Now, let me qualify that. I don't want you to get me wrong here because I know that this passage has been used in a very perverted way. But you need to understand something. God is not my servant. God is not my servant. And he's not a slot machine. So I don't go to God and say, I have all these whims and desires and it's like a coin that I put in the slot machine and God just gives me whatever I want. That's not how it works. You see, remember, I can define, we define faith as seeing the way God sees Seeing the way God sees. And so as I draw near to God, as I, and that's what these 21 days of prayer, in fact, it's me drawing near to, as I draw near to God, I begin to see the way God sees. I begin to see how God sees my life, how he sees my children, how he sees my, my wife, how he sees my, my, my parents, my, my mother, my grandmother, my, they're all, my grandparents are gone, but my mother, right? I begin to see the way God sees, and then I begin to have faith for what God wants to do in my life. That's really what God is talking about. That if I could, if I have faith as small as a mustard seed, and I see what God sees, those things will come to pass in my life. Another thing that faith does is faith turns God-given dreams into reality. Faith turns God-given dreams into reality. Nothing happens until someone starts dreaming. Nothing happens when someone starts dreaming. Do you have a dream? Recently, I came across a, uh, a document that I wrote actually 16 or 17 years ago, somewhere 16 and a half years ago. It was a document that was basically giving a vision. It was like a vision statement and a, and a plan, a strategy of starting Life Church. And believe me, when I wrote that document 17 years ago, everything in that document was a dream. <laughs> everything was a dream. None of it was real. There was no congregation. There were no musicians. There were no, nothing. There was no, you know, there was no building. It was all just a dream. And yet, look where we are. Now, I, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to tell you something that, look how great rich is. That's not at all what I'm saying. See, God has plans and purposes for our life, and he just wants us to see the things that he wants to do through us. That's all. That's all. As we see as the way he sees, it changes everything. Those evenings where I would fall on my face before God in my basement, where Christy and I, my wife and I, would just pray God was forging faith inside of us. He was calling us to just see the way he sees. And I'm telling you, sometimes it was incredibly difficult to do that. It was really, really hard to do that. Because I would look around and I'd see that in the natural, I'd see what was going on. I'm like, this is impossible. But then we'd pursue God and he'd just show us what he was seeing, what he was seeing, what he was seeing. I like what Ephesians 3.20 says. Glory be to God who by his mighty power has work, has at work in the, within us. Sorry. Let me, replete, let, me, blah, blah, blah. let me read again. Glory be to God who by his mighty power at work within us is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask. God is able to do far more than we will ever be able to ask. 
So if you can come up with it, God can do more than that, okay? Or even dream. If you can dream of it, God can do more than that. Infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. God places dreams in us. And he just wants us to see the way he sees those things. And they come to pass. Lastly, faith gives me power to hold on in tough times. Faith doesn't always take you out of the storm. Let me clarify that. I think too many people use this idea of faith, hyperfaith, positive confession, all that kind of stuff. Use that as a way to say, I should, I should be storm-free. I should never suffer. I should never struggle. No. Faith doesn't always take us out of the storm. Sometimes faith gives us peace through the storm. Amen? And I can tell you from personal experience, there have been many times as we were starting this church and going through all the stuff, there were so many times that my faith looked a lot more like just faithfulness and perseverance and just, God, I don't know how this is going to work, but God, you have to do this, right? Second Corinthians, the Apostle Paul speaking, he says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed and broken. We are perplexed, but we don't give up and quit. We're attacked, but God never abandons us. We get, thank you. <clears throat> we get knocked down, but we get, we get up and we keep going. Again, this is Paul speaking, talking about his own trials, and yet he says, we've been able to persevere. We, it's not just about having great faith, it's about sometimes faithfulness through the storms and trials. So, I mean, I know this because I remember, I remember sometimes standing in front of a, co a congregation of 30 people at the rec center, looking at the 30 people, and that would be by itself very discouraging, and there was a lot of things that we did to ourselves as well to make it even more discouraging, but... Just alone, that alone would have been very discouraging. But there was times, I can't tell you, I don't know how to explain it. I, I just all I can say is that there were times that I would look at 30 people and all I could see were thousands of lives being changed and transformed. All I could see was hundreds and hundreds of marriages being rescued. All I could see was thousands of people who were lost and broken and hurting being set free. And it was just 30 of us. Faith is seeing as God sees. So I'll stand. <clears throat> so let me ask you, in what area of your life, and I suspect that all of us have something to say here, let me ask you, in what area do you, do you, in your life do you need to see the way God sees? Maybe it's your marriage. You're looking at your husband, you're like, mm-mm, that's a loser there. <laughs> that's the way you see it. But maybe God wants you to see the way he sees it. See, there's something about seeing the way God sees that lifts the potential in people. It helps us see beyond what we see on the surface and the struggle and the hurt and whatever it is that we're experiencing. We are able to look beyond that. That's what faith does, seeing how God sees. Maybe it's your financial circumstances. Maybe it's your children. You just, you've lost hope completely. You just don't believe that your children will ever come back to Christ. They'll ever have a relationship with Jesus dynamic and strong. I mean, I'm a... I'm a testimony of that with my own son. 
who serves here on the, on the tech team and was here in service earlier this morning with his two sons. But for 10 years, it was hard to see that. And it was so hard to see that. All I was hoping for is I just hope he doesn't die. <clears throat> Faith sees how God sees us. See, I was seeing that, but God was seeing something completely different. God was looking at his masterpiece being forged and formed and created and made into the image that God wants him to become. And today is no there's, no, there's not a Sunday you won't see Jonathan sitting up here, someone with his hands raised up, worshiping God. Faith is seeing as God sees. So I want to challenge us in 2021 as we, I know I'm way past my time, so forgive me for that, but I want to challenge us in 2021 as we embark on 2021 that we as we contrast 2020, and maybe you're looking at 2020, you're trying to, and you're filtering everything for 2021 through the lens of 2020, you're thinking, oh man, I just hope it's a little bit better than 2020. <laughs> but I believe that God actually has greater things in store. And it starts with, with us seeing the way God sees. So you can do a little exercise. You can ask yourself, you can ask yourself, Okay, God, how do you see my husband? Oh, that's a hard one. Or wife. How do you see my wife? Because, you know, we see all kinds of stuff. But ask yourself, God, will you show me how you see him? Will you show me, God, how you see my future? God, will you show me how you see my, 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 my children? God, will you show, show me how you see my workspace? Let me see the way you see and let him speak to you. Let him put dreams inside of you. And let him help you begin to believe for greater things in 2021. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray for you. We're not going to do a song. We're, not, we're just going to conclude our service. But I want to I pray for you. And, and will, you, will you join me in prayer and just trusting and believing? Our prayer teams are going to be here and left and right. If you, after we pray, you'd like to, somebody to pray with you. They, they're here to serve you and encourage you to pray with them. But will you join me as a collective? We're going to just believe God for these next 21 days for breakthrough, for miracles, for God giving us a new sight. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, for what you're doing in this place. I thank you, Father, that you're moving, that you're stirring us. God, that you're calling us to greater things. Father, we don't have to satisfy. We don't have to settle for, for what 2020 brought us. 2020 was simply a gift from you so that we can trust you more. And so, Father, right now, will you help us to see the way you see? To see our problems the way you see our problems? To see our family members the way you see our family members? To see our work the way you see our work? To see our future, God. So, Father, something is so difficult for us sometimes to see our future. But, Lord, help us to see our future the way you see our future. And then, Lord persistently go after it, Father, in this year. God, will you do that for us? Will you help us to see as you see? In Jesus' name.